Welcome to Bipolar Inquiry, drafting and crafting bipolar consciousness since 2016 by philosophizing, relanguaging, and harvesting mania's special messages, meaning visions, extraordinary experiences, ideas, insights, superpowers, possibilities, synchronicity, and parallel worlds. The Bipolar Inquiry podcast is not meant to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Information discussed on the show is not medical advice. Now, let's get started with this episode. phone was getting pretty full so I was downloading some of the videos from iCloud onto a onto an external hard drive and when I was trying to confirm which ones I could delete from my phone because they were officially on the external hard drive some of them were really old and I was just a bit surprised with the way I talked and even the sound of my voice it feels like it's changed and I've been doing this self-dialogue for about six months it'll be six months in like a week or something and the first couple of months I only did a few videos but then lately I've been doing more and more so I've probably been doing it more intensely for say three months and part of what I possibly intend to do is when the date hits the one-year mark from a video is to watch it and to sort of do a video from the present moment but also talk about the year before so it's possible if I do it that way that it won't be a while until I actually release stuff the other thing I might do is just be like wow that early stuff is really bad not release it at all but I think part of this process for me is just showing that self dialogue can be helpful we usually assume that we need to talk to somebody else to help us. And this might be a different form of self-help in that I'm helping myself by expressing my own thoughts and unfolding my own learning. So not relying on looking at a book and looking at other people for the answers and I'm finding that more and more of the supposed answers are within me. And it's not that I haven't been influenced by anybody in terms of reading and things, but the thing would be that in my own process of exploration, if there is anything that was from somebody else that I realize in the moment, it arises in the right moment versus just always reading books. And really I feel like it's restoring me to learning for myself, from myself, by myself, with myself. And in that I'm actually learning from other people too because my own process of learning while I'm with myself 
is the same that happens when I'm out and about. So I can have sort of realizations and aha moments all the time. Like yesterday, I looked at a picture of my baby niece and she was sucking on her clothing and it was all wet. And I just thought of an idea that certain time period of clothing could actually have like a, a teething toy in the clothing because the baby is not yet quite able to really hold on to a toy for very long and put it in their mouth but they could probably grab the collar and put it in their mouth whereas if it's like a toy and it falls over to the side they're not going to reach out and grab it so that was an idea I had and then I had another idea that one day a person will be able to pay for an item in the store with their phone and not have to line up at the till. So right now it's Christmas shopping time and there's big lineups. People could have like a square reader and, and the store knows that you're in the store and scan the item and off you go. And I had another idea too, but I forget what it was. But these are just ideas and and those happen all the time for me and I get tons of them and I don't really have the time or energy to pursue them nor do I really want to but it can be fun to have those types of ideas and I feel like people who have access to this insight consciousness are creative with ideas even though they may not have the means or want to carry it out because if a person has a thousand decent ideas in a given year, they're not really going to carry them all out. It's impossible. Whereas there's other people out there who have the capacity to carry out a good idea, but don't really have any good ideas. So I think that's something that could be explored as well. Well, let's see if that stopped. So another thing is that, sort of unrelated, but I met up with a new friend recently. And what was interesting was that I didn't have this urge to out myself as being diagnosed with bipolar disorder. It was almost like all of this talking I've done with myself, with all this different context, was actually protection against me talking about it in a way that is not the way that I've been unfolding the context about. So usually if I meet somebody new, I feel compelled to tell them that I have this diagnosis, mainly because I'm not ashamed of it or anything because mostly because I don't actually believe it in my heart and being it's a construct that I've been given 
to describe different experiences that I've had, but I don't see it as true. So usually me saying that to somebody, I don't even know why I would say it. I guess I would say it because there's certain factors in my life that sort of like, oh, why aren't you working full time out of whatever, whatever. So by saying that, it sort of explains those other factors. And, and so maybe it's useful to that extent, but in terms of actually describing my experience, it's not very useful, but it might be useful to describe how certain things in my external life are structured for somebody else to understand it. I could say, man, if I spend too much time in consensus reality, I get overloaded. It's like information overload. And because jobs are in society, can be information overload, blah, blah, blah. So I don't know what I'm saying with that exactly, but what I'm trying to say is it just felt different in my being. And normally I don't feel afraid that someone will judge me for saying, oh, I have bipolar disorder, because if they do, whatever, like, see you later. Because regardless of what it's labeled, it makes life very interesting. And then with this person, we got into conversations about, um, like I told them about my universe flipping the coin thing, which I don't remember if I talked about before. But they were open to that because they had some different experiences about stuff. So just by having more conversation, I was able to discover that this person is open to those sorts of other energies. So I can always talk about things um, in those terms because it's a shared understanding anyway. So that was cool because I've met somebody before who I told about it and then they were just the type of person that wasn't really open to anything other than consensus frameworks of thinking and experiencing things. So if I would have said something about a, an experience that was kind of out there, whether just slightly out there or like whatever, they wouldn't have been open to it. So to me it's not about whether somebody is able to accept mental illness, it's whether somebody is open to exploring that context and the fact that People who never get diagnosed with something have other conscious experiences all the time. It's actually quite normal. When it gets to a certain point, then it's labeled as an illness, but that's perhaps because we're not having these types of conversations that normalizes people's perceptions. And then if it's not normalized, then a person can get afraid. And when one's afraid of one's own experience, it's going to create more fearful experience. So it could just be the fear of going crazy when it gets a little bit too outside one's comfort zone that causes it to spiral into that. It's like a self-fulfilling prophecy. I remember thinking during my very first experience, like, am I going crazy? And lo and behold, I did end up in the psych ward going crazy. And another thing 
that I discovered. I haven't really read books lately, but I picked up a book that I have on my Kindle by U.G. Krishnamurti. And he was talking about how when all the old structures are dying in oneself, one becomes like a corpse, like it actually... Well, he explains it in the book. And I think it happened to him on more than one occasion, but basically it's almost like the body is almost dead and then it comes alive again. And he talks about how it's part of this process of the universe and that's what happened to him. And I remember the first time I had an experience of this consciousness, I thought I was being crushed by the universe and dying and like basically going down to barely breathing, not moving, quite catatonic. And I had that on more than one occasion. And so it makes me think, well, wow, that's sort of a process that we go through, but it's just not really understood. So he has a really good explanation of that, and it's a pretty frightening process. I've had that happen pretty much every time I've gone into so-called psychosis. And the other thing that was interesting was I went to Value Village and, and I thought to check out the books before I shop for some clothes and and the first book I looked at and picked up was this book called The Little Book of Clarity. And I was flipping through it and I don't really buy books so much lately, but this one called to me in a way because it's actually a book about not thinking. And, and Krishnamurti talks about this, Jay Krishnamurti. All he really points to is all of the machinery of thought and how it's not the same as insight, love, beauty, truth, blah, blah, blah. And then Eckhart Tolle is the one who also talks about it in a way. He talks about watching the thinker and then over time the thoughts lose their hold and they disappear and it's not about changing one's thoughts it's about seeing that one is beyond thought and then when one sees that the thoughts lose their power and they start to dwindle and wither away and I first read that book years ago and when I first realized that I wasn't my thoughts, I was like, whoa, that is huge. And then I practiced the power of now for however long and then all of those thoughts went away. So my brain doesn't have any thoughts in it in terms of me hearing my own voice. Whether there's subtle thoughts that operate below the surface without my own voice happening, that is a different story perhaps that I don't know about because I can't hear anything happening but I don't hear what I'm gonna say before I'm gonna say it. I don't hear myself talking in my head when other people are speaking. I don't talk myself to sleep. I don't hear my own voice. Things arise, and I've talked about this before, but it's not really an interesting topic of conversation because most people, their brain operates with thoughts happening all the time 
and I can sort of remember what that was like, but I don't, I don't think that process could turn on again if I tried. Though it does turn on again with the process of so-called psychosis. And so this book was really interesting and I actually sat down on Monday after I got home and I read the entire book in one sitting and I just got up to use the washroom and I don't think my mind wandered once because my mind doesn't wander because thinking is the wandering thing. 190 pages is a small book and it's not super dense in terms of the words on the page and everything but I did get a few things out of the book and I made some notes on it so I did stop to make a note when I read something that I wanted to expand upon. And the person who wrote the book, Jamie Smart, has a program of coaching for clarity coaches, which is to help people declutter their minds. And he does talk about what I've been talking about somewhat, I think, how when the mind is silent, something else is operating and it's actually more clear because there's none of this abstracting going on which is often a movement away from the present moment. So, and he does a good job of pointing this out and illustrating that. And a few things that he said were good even for my own brain to hear and to sort of break apart other subtle structures that are probably there and there's there's possibly lots of them. And he, he talks about how when we see something for ourselves and we understand it, we don't need to have a how-to or something like that because it's getting rid of the false stuff that's in the way. So what's really needed is clear seeing and understanding and learning, not trying to grasp onto a concept and then move towards that abstract concept. It's more about seeing through abstract concepts and then really being in touch with the moment and then always having the sense that one can respond adequately to what is in the moment because one isn't somewhere else in their mind. And I came across somewhere else to focus on learning rather than helping. And that makes a lot of sense because I could think I'm trying to fix myself, I'm trying to help myself, but really I'm just learning with myself. And that doesn't even require trying. Learning is learning, it's, it's an innate capacity that we have. Back to this book on clarity, the little book of clarity. I made a couple of notes of pages that were super relevant and page 83 says, your mind is a self-correcting system. Its set point is clarity, resilience and well-being. The benefits of allowing the mind to find its own way back to clarity vastly outweigh the benefits of external intervention. Why? Because external intervention 
stops the self-correcting system doing its job. Clarity is what a person's psychology is always endeavoring to return to. And that really resonated with me because I see distress and what's labeled as psychosis as also a self-correcting system, a very, very powerful one. And it has a lot of fear in it and it can be very scary and it definitely needs support through the process, but the process is externally intervened with through chemical means, which stops it from completing. And then because it's stopped from completing, a person is turned into a chronic mental patient. That would be like stopping a caterpillar in the chrysalis stage and then thinking, oh, the caterpillar's completely non-functional, so now we have to take care of it. When it was supposed to transform into something else, into a completely different function, into a butterfly that's flying through the air, and we don't even know what this phase, what this process is trying to self-correct. I think it's trying to self-correct a lot more than just personal anguish. If it was just personal anguish, a person would feel the personal anguish, but it wouldn't be to the extreme where it makes the whole person completely non-functional and needing protection. It's it, A person needs support and protection through that, like they are in a chrysalis. If you expected a caterpillar to start walking around in the chrysalis phase, it wouldn't be able to see. It might walk off the branch of a tree. It doesn't know where it's going. It doesn't have its proper nervous system or perceptual apparatus to even know what is what. So the external intervention stops the self-correcting mechanism from happening. And so I feel my process will always be going back towards this self-correction because it's trying to correct something. I feel like it tries to correct my path that I'm on to get more in alignment with the universe. It's sort of like if a butterfly wanted to remain a caterpillar, after it being turned into a butterfly, it just wanted to act like a caterpillar. That's sort of the equivalent of what's happening is that People are trying to go from caterpillar to butterfly, but the system comes along and says you have to stay a caterpillar. And so the caterpillar's like in this chrysalis, and people in the system are like holding its hand, trying to walk it along and everything, because it's having trouble functioning, because it's not a caterpillar anymore, and it hasn't yet turned into a butterfly. And he talks about, on page 86, Jamie Smart talks about the known versus the unknown. So he's talking about where new ideas come from. He says, the known is the database of thoughts you've already thought, including your habitual ways of thinking about yourself, your life, and your world. The unknown is the source of all fresh new thoughts, the formless power of thought. When we have clarity, our minds are free from contaminated thinking, and we create space for new thinking to flow in. I feel like that is a good distinction between how it works when a person is able to 
see through the veil of thought and and operate from a position of clarity ideas come from the unknown and there is that space for those ideas to arise in consciousness they can't arise in consciousness when we're always associating about the past and on page 92 he's talking about how when we're born we don't realize we have a nose we don't realize we have eyes or a face or anything like that we didn't know our hands were our hands and then eventually we started to make a map of ourselves and a map of our environment and I extend this idea to how in trans consciousness and map consciousness and that other experience is trying to help us to map those other parts that we don't take to be ourselves but are part of ourselves sometimes things will happen in the other state of consciousness that seem like leaps in the laws of physics or that seem like magic but when we were babies it might seem like magic that all of a sudden we have a toy in our hand but then we realize when we get older somebody brought the toy so certain things that happen in map consciousness and trans consciousness might seem like magic or odd but it's just because we haven't figured out what is bringing that to us or how it works and I've also gotten to the point in that state of consciousness where I've figured out exactly how it works and when that happens it's like game over and that's when I actually go down to the bottom of the scale of consciousness and have to work my way back up because it's like wow I see like it's all XYZ I see that and it's just it feels very dejecting because there's nothing to do like if you understand how it all works there's no surprises anymore so so we actually don't want to figure it all out and so he says we've created a map of who we are a map we keep updating and map consciousness helps us update the map of ourselves we're not who we think we are we're something totally different than that and map consciousness is trying to show us that thank you for listening to bipolar inquiry if you're enjoying the show please feel free to rate subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts remember use your voice craft your consciousness embody your potential enter a quantum paradigm the Bipolar Inquiry podcast is not meant to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Information in this show is not medical advice. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you in the next episode.